Yeah. Okay, let's get this web underway. Tēnā koutou koutou. mai and welcome to Seas Virtual Field Trip, which is supported by the Sustainable Seas National Science Challenge. I'm Shelley, the Learns Field Trip teacher, and this is Kura, who is working with Waikato University. Kura, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Kia ora tamariki ma. I'm a associate professor at the University in Marine Research. Excellent. And Kura is going to guide us throughout the field trip and teach us about beautiful harbour behind us, or Hiwa Harbour. And you can find out a little bit about that yourself as well by reading the background pages. And we're going to find out uh, what's going well in this ecosystem and what's not going quite so well. And Kura has already been very busy and collected some mussels and some sea stars, which you'll see later on today in the videos, which will be online for you tomorrow. And you'll find out why mussels and sea stars depend on the environment around here, but they're not so good with each other, and you'll find out why later on. So welcome along to our speaking school, Uwairoa School. Great to have you with us, and great to see some listening schools too. So at the end of our formal web conference, you'll get an opportunity to ask extra questions by typing them in the chat window. But we do have our questions from our speaking school. So great to be able to talk to you from the side of Ohiwa Harbour and at the start of Sea Week. So we'll get underway with questions and start with question number one. Oh, it's a good idea too if you let us know who you are. So just introduce yourself with your first name, then we know who we're talking to. Okay, without further ado, question number one, please. What species live in the Ohiwa Harbour? Uh, what species live in the harbour? There are so many species that live here. There are pātiki or flounder, yellow flounder, yellow-bellied flounder. Also, Ohiwa is a nursery for bronze whaler sharks, uh, generally just behind us, just over there is where all the bronze whaler baby sharks are. Ohiwa is also a great place for a little tiny juvenile baby snapper about this big. Trying to do my finger so you can see. They grow up here in the harbour as little babies living in the seagrass, and when they get older, they then swim out to sea. We also have pippies, cockles, mussels, all sorts of other species. And let's not forget our birds. They all hang out here too. Great question. Mm, and I can see why they hang out here. It's a pretty special place. And it's great to know that there's that kind of biodiversity being supported in the, the environment around here. Okay, question number two now, please. You know, that's a really, really good question. And a reason that's really good is because, as you, I think you already know, is that estuaries like Ohiwa Harbour has a mixture of salt water from the sea and freshwater. The freshwater that comes into this harbour comes from all the surrounding streams and rivers, such as 
One of the biggest rivers here is called the Nukuho, and it provides the largest amount of fresh water that comes into our harbour. Very good question. Well done. Mm, and all that fresh water, as well as the salt water, providing a very habitat for some special creatures. Okay, can we have question number three now, please? How do animals live in estuaries if there are fresh water and salt water? Another good question. That's right, because we think that an animal must either live in only in fresh water or only in salt water. But some animals like tuna, like eels, they, have, they are able to adapt themselves to be able to come from the sea into estuaries like Ohiwa and then swim up into freshwater rivers all the way up into the inland. So animals, depending on the type of animal it is, they are able to, they have special biological, I don't know how to say this, they are able to adapt themselves to move between freshwater and saltwater. Mm, and, and being able to adapt to things like that is pretty special and it takes a long time, many, many generations and, and lots of years to adapt to those kind of conditions and then to survive and have offspring which have adapted as well. Brilliant question. And can we have your next question now, please? What are the main living elements in the harbour? Oh, I can tell you've been reading the background pages about ecosystems and thinking about the living elements and the non-living elements. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Kura? Well, you know, from a Māori perspective, almost everything has a living element and we call that modi. So some people might say that a non-living element would be something like mud and the bottom of the harbour has a lot of gluggy, gluggy mud and some people would say oh but that doesn't live but inside that mud are hundreds and hundreds of many different types of species all living and burrowing and breathing and living and having children down there. So from a Māori perspective, a non, what some people would think is a non-living element to us would be a living element. I guess you could also say that non-living elements could be man-made things. Mm, and th things like rocks. And like rocks. Sand are, and all that kind of stuff. Some human and but for Māori, for a lot of Māori, some rocks are considered to live certain kind of organisms and we're going to find out more about um ohiwa harbour and all the living aspects and the maori of this area so that's going to be pretty exciting and question number five now please Oh, I can't quite hear you. You need to be a little bit closer to the computer's microphone so that we can hear you. What 
Oh, well done. You've been reading those background pages and taking it all in. Good stuff. So our producers, consumers, de decomposers, inorganic matter, all those fancy terms that we use in science. Tell us a bit more about those, Kuda. That is a big question. You know, one of the producers in Ohiwa is um, algae or seaweed. And the sun has, when the sunlight shines, it penetrates through the water, touches the bottom and allows the algae or the seaweed to grow. When the algae as a producer, when it grows, then other species come and eat it and live on it. And then that, and sorry, so that's your, where's a producer. And then consumers are those that eat it and predate. Predators are species like, I'm getting lost in the big words. <laughs> uh, so we have, so is a producer. And from there come all the other carnivores who, who eat the herbivores. Sorry, I got lost in your question. It was very good. There's so much detail in that question, isn't there? And we've got the, the decomposers, the things that break things down and mean that um, we don't have a whole lot of icky stuff around. They break it down so that we've got um, nutrients recycled and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we talked a bit about inorganic matter, sometimes called non-living, but all that stuff has its own modi, its life force. And all those things, we're realizing that they all interact. They all depend upon each other. And if we take out one species, it affects another species. And everything can get affected even by just fishing for one thing. And overfishing, it can destroy the whole ecosystem. We're going to learn lots about that this week because we're looking at the whole ecosystem and what we can do to help it rather than harm it. So very big question. Well done. Question number six now, please. Oh, you just dropped out there. If you come a bit closer. Yeah, you need to be directly in line so we can see you. If you're out to the side, the sound is terrible. If you pop in front of the computer there and repeat that question, that'll be great. Still can't hear you. One more go. Big loud voice. If we can't see you, we can't hear you. How are the humans harming the Ah, how are the humans or humans? harming the ecosystem. Me, you, all of us, we're all having an impact. Kura. Wow, we are harming uh, the ecosystem in so many ways. But let's talk about three of them. One is through pollution. Another is through fishing pressure or overfishing. And, in, and a third is through climate change. So pollution is all our activities that we do on the land, like farming, um, forestry, building houses, building roads, all of that increases, when it rains, all of that flows into our harbour and it increases pollution into the harbour, which affects not only the water quality of Ohiwa, but also all the kaimwana and food that's inside it and all the species. What it also does too is when all the runoff, when it rains and all the stuff runs off the land into the harbour, 
it brings with it dirt and sediment. And that sediment then sits on the bottom of the harbour and smothers um, lots of shellfish like pippies, cockles and mussels. Pollution is a, has a huge, huge negative impact on our harbour. And that is caused mainly by humans, such as me, Shelley, all of us. A second one is fishing pressure. When we take, Shelley just talked about it earlier, when we take too much of one particular fish out of the ecosystem, out of the harbour, it has an effect on the whole ecosystem. So too many people taking too many fish like flounder or snapper and shellfish hurts our harbour. We have to look at how we can manage ourselves and the way that we harvest food and how much food we harvest from the harbour. And the third one, which is a huge one, is climate change. Our oceans and our harbours and estuaries are warming. And with that warmer sea temperatures, it affects even the small in our harbours. It's like, like plankton, which can then impact the whole food web. So changing water conditions also impact, affect the shells of our mussels and pippies and cockles, making them thinner and more fragile and therefore easy for other species to eat and break into. Our, we are harming our ecosystems by the activities that we do on land and in sea because everything is connected. Mm, and and that can sound a bit sad, really, that we're all having such an impact. But at least on this field trip, you're going to find out how you can have an, a positive impact as well. Um, because we've got to remember that there's, there's so many more of us than what there used to be. When there was only a few people in Aotearoa, it was possible to do more things and have less of an impact. But now we've got to share the planet with so many more people and try not to... Um, make that mean that there's less biodiversity. So there's all, uh, all things that we can do um, rather than just harming the environment, we can help it as well. So that's, there is some good news there. And that brings us to the next question, please. What effect is nearby farming having? Oh, that is a good question because farming can have a big impact. Kura. Uh, farming can have a big impact on um, on our harbours and estuaries, but it's not just farming. Just like we talked earlier, it's also other activities that we do too. So farming, when they use fertilisers, farming, uh, horticulture, orchards, when they use fertilisers, that can run into our harbour, into our freshwater rivers and streams, so that then flows into our harbour. And, uh, and hurts the uh, water quality and the species within it. We have to remember though that it's not just farming, it's all of us doing all the things that we do. Mm, and all that stuff adding up over time. Mm. And that brings us nicely into um, the next few questions. Question number eight now, please. Oh, what would happen if the muscles disappeared? Yeah. 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 Muscles. Yeah. 
Yeah. If the muscles, just, and Shelley has, has alluded to it already, that uh, if you lose one species, the whole system goes out of balance. So muscles are endemic to Aotearoa. That means that this is the only place in the world where muscles grow naturally in the wild. Who knew? So what muscles also do is they are filter feeders. That means I go like this because... I'm pretending that I'm inside the muscle shell and muscles pump up to six to nine liters of water every day. And while they're doing that, they are cleaning some of the pollutants out of the water column and putting it on the bottom to sink into the mud. So muscles help to keep our harbors clean. They are super, super important species. If they disappeared, our harbor would get a lot more murkier, and dirtier, and also a lot of other species would disappear because mussels, when they grow on a soft bottom like Ohiwa here, they create a hard reef so other species can attach to them, can live in them, can eat off them. They create a whole community. If we lose the mussels and other shellfish, we lose uh, a lot of other, we lose diversity in our harbour. Super important species. Mm, so I guess that means we have to think about how many we uh, choose to eat. Question number nine now, please. How can we prevent sedimentation? That's a good question because we talked about farming having an effect before, but there's also other things that can increase sedimentation, Kuda. You know, that's a, you know, that's an important question. We, there are a lot of things we can do, and one of the things we can do is planting. So when, when it rains, when we clear all the trees and the wetlands that surround our harbour, they and the mangroves, as, as an example, they have a job. Even though they're not in the harbour, their job around the harbour is to filter all, is to kind of trap all that sedimentation and runoff that's, that's about to come into the harbour, and they kind of trap it and slow it down. So one of the things we could do is plant more trees, recreate wetlands, and of course, most importantly, look at the things that we're doing on the land and, and how it's running into our waters. Mm, it was actually really interesting on the flight up from Dunedin yesterday, flying all the way up the coast and realising just how much coastline we have, how much um, the marine environment impacts on us here mm. in Aotearoa because it's so big. But I also noticed um, of lots of the rivers and headlands and particularly areas that have been cleared and didn't have any forest, there was a whole lot of muddiness in the water. The sediment had come off the land and, and spread out around the coast at the mouth of those rivers or near that piece of land that had been cleared. So you could see all the, all the dirtiness in the water making it murky and that's that sediment, the bits of soil and, and particles and things moving off the land when it rains um, and coming into the water. So you can imagine if you're a wee mussel trying to filter, it's not going to like all that, that sediment. It's like uh, eating sand, I imagine. Not, not quite so good. So yeah, we've got to be careful about what we do on land because that affects how healthy the oceans are. And that brings us to question 10 now, please.
which is the current house of Ohiwa Harbour? Well, the current house of Ohiwa Harbour is a little bit of up and a little bit of down. So there's parts of the harbour that are doing really well, um, like such in terms of um, our bird populations. We have a large number, such as a Godwit birds, which some of them which are um, threatened or endangered that live here in Ohiwa. So the health of some of our species is really, really good. But then there's other parts of the harbour that are struggling, like our shellfish and uh, what Shelley just talked about in terms of sedimentation running into our water quality. It's, that's kind of a hard question to answer because uh, the harbour has so many different parts to it. Mm, and you're going to get to explore some of the harbour during this week, during Sea Week on the field trip, and you'll see that some bits look a lot healthier than others, and then you'll be able to think about, hmm, why is that? Is that because there's more forest here or less forest, or what are they doing on the land nearby? You'll be able to put pieces of the jigsaw together, which is what scientists all around the country are doing with the Sustainable Seas National Science Challenge. They're all looking at bits and pieces of our coastline and estuaries and trying to find out more about them and what what we're doing and how it's impacting those separate little ecosystems and how they all work together. So it's, it's fascinating stuff, Gerda. Lots and lots to learn. Yes, it is. Yeah, so you're going to learn lots this week too. So it's great to have you with us. Um, thank you so much, All Way to Our School, for your brilliant questions. And it's been fantastic to see that you've done some reading of those background pages too. Well done. Um, now we're going to open it up to uh, some questions from our listening schools and indeed Ōwairoa School. If you have more questions, you can pop them in the chat window. Just looking down the bottom of my screen here. There's none at the bottom, um, Sally. There's, my chat there's, window. there's one at the top from Helen uh, Quirk, <laughs> Room 14. How is the health of our ocean animals right now? Question by Lalani. So we looked at the estuary health, but our... I presume Aotearoa, New Zealand's ocean animals are right around the whole country. Mm, and I guess that that's very much linked to what we talked about, Kura, the health of our ocean animals right now. Do we know that much about it? Does it depend on species or place? And it depends on both those things, both species and place. Um, for a local, for a topical space in terms of the coast, Kinna, do you all know what kinna are, sea urchins? Right now we have too many kinna. And for a lot of people, they would say, that can't be a problem, having too many kinna to collect and eat. But if you have too many kinna, they eat all the seaweed or, or the large brown kelp which is a problem because the kelp is a producer. And so it depends on whereabouts in the ocean you're talking about and what species. Mm, and I guess that all those kinna are like too many sheep on the paddock. They're going <laughs> to eat that paddock out and then there's going to be nothing left. That's a good way to say it. And then my, all the sheep might die. So yeah, you don't want too many of one thing. Okay, have we got any other questions here? Oh, I can see one there. Um, what are fjords? No, no fjords up here in the North Island, but certainly in the South Island, Kura. Well, um, Shelley's right, there's no fjords here. Um, I'm not really too sure how to answer that question. Oh, see, 
I know a little bit about because, them. Good, because you might know better than me. I think I'm from Otago and um, I do lots of exploring around a place called Fiordland. And it's called Fiordland because it's got lots of fjords. And those fjords are created on the coast where mountains are close to the coast and you've got glaciers and the glaciers carve their way down the mountain and all the way out to the sea. And then the sea comes in and floods um, where the glacier was once it retreats and you get these inlets of ocean coming all the way into the mountains where the glacier once was because the glaciers carved out that valley, made a big U-shaped valley, glacier disappears, seawater comes in and you've got a fjord and that's where the cruise boats come into Milford Sound and I don't think Milford Sound is a sound, I think it's a fjord but you can find out more about that um, by doing a bit of googling I suspect but fjords are very scenic places and they do have that layer of fresh water over um, the seawater, which makes for a very special environment. Or it's round that way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The, the tannins run yes, off, and, yeah. the, and it makes it darker on the top than it normally would be. Yeah, yeah. That was really good, Shelley. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I love Fiordland. It's got <laughs> some awesome climbing down there because those. Those glaciers also create really steep, rocky slopes. So have we got some more questions? Yes, we do. Um, how do we stop overfishing? That is a really good question. And there are lots of rules in place. There are lots of rules. If you, because there's all different types of fishing. There is commercial fishing, which, and the rules that we have in place here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is called the quota management system. And what that means is that different parts of Aotearoa uh, are called its own little quota management area and, and different species, you're, commercial fisher people are allowed to catch a certain number of certain species and that's commercial fishing. Some people would say that they're catching too much fish or uh, too much of one particular variety of fish. But that's not the only type of fishing we have here. We also have recreational fishing, which is people like you and me. When we just go out on our boat or out to the wharf or out to the harbour and we put a fishing rod over the side. If you have 20 boats with 20 or six people all fishing, they are taking a lot of fish. So in terms of the different types of fishing and the pressures we have, we have to look at the commercial fishing, we have to look at recreational fishing, and there's also customary fishing, which is uh, people like me, who, is, who I'm Māori, when we go to take customary take, and we ask to get permission to take X amount of kina or prey fish, for example, for special events like tangihana, for funerals and stuff like that. So... It's a huge question and a very important one. Once we can figure that out, we sh it will help us to better manage and therefore protect and sustain our marine species and spaces. Mm, and I guess that's why it's really important for scientists to keep doing their work so that they're monitoring populations so that we don't just make a set of rules and then not change them when there becomes more people in a place or mm. more fishermen and they all still have the same um, catch limits. It might not work. And I know that there are things that you can do if you're fishing yourself. You might not choose to catch your limit. You might just catch a couple of fish rather than the maximum that you're allowed to catch. But you certainly should find out what you are allowed to catch 
in your area before you go fishing because it does change and it is different in different places. So we all have a bit of a responsibility there. And even if you see people that have got what seems like a lot of fish, too many, you can actually report them. There is a 0800 number that you can phone and you can get MPI onto them. Um, or you might just need to have a friendly chat with them and say, hey, did you know that your fish is supposed to be this big? Or you're only supposed to catch, I don't know what this the limit is, um, I don't know, five snapper or whatever it is. I'm not actually a fisherman. This is where we need Andrew, the loons teacher, who's a big time fisherman. How many snapper? Angler is a good generic term to use. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I should be using the term angler well, rather than fisherman. Well, uh, it depends on the depends on the area. How many snapper are you allowed to catch in Northland? So there's a, there's different there's different fishing areas. Hi guys, um, and I know I know because I live in Northland that the limit of, of uh, per person is seven, uh, and other parts it's nine, and I think on the west coast it's ten. But of snapper. I, mm. It's a lot. It is a lot per person, especially when you catch them as big as I do. Obviously, a good angler. So, there you go, right from the angler's mouth. Okay, more questions here. Uh, question, what would happen without fish? Well, we've talked a bit about um, the interdependence of everything. And, you know, if you remove one species, it affects everything else. So, remove one. Uh, moving on, is Ohiwa Harbour protected? Yes. Ohiwa Harbour has what they call a ONFL, Outstanding Natural Features and Landscape Zone. And that is because, and it is an ONFL, Landscape zone. It is a ONFL protection status because it is a mostly untouched. It's more natural than it is built up by humans. So yes, it does have a protection status. Oh, and that's great to hear. And you might know of marine reserves around you as well, where they've decided that that area is so special it needs protecting, and that can certainly help other areas around it. And there's one question that we, we missed up here. Um, the questions that we had earlier about sed sedimentation. So, Kura, can you explain a bit more about what sedimentation is? Yes, because a lot of people say the word sediment and sedimentation, and I think, what is that? So sedimentation, sedimentation is dirt, and when people put fertilizers and um, chemical pollutants and stuff on the land, that runs into the soil, and then when it rains, that all runs into the harbour, and it's called sedimentation because it's sediment, and that then can smother seafood. It's a short answer. It's a good answer. Okay, we've got heaps of questions. We may not keep up with them all. And remember, you can join us again tomorrow to ask more questions. Um, let's see. Do starfish help clean the ecosystem? They're not, mm. They don't filter like mussels, do no, they? No, sea stars don't filter like mussels, but they do eat mussels and pippies and cockles. So they don't clean the water column, but they are a very, very important species in the harbour. They are what you could call a keystone species. And that means that 
the uh, how they eat, the species that they eat, and how many of the species animals that they eat dictates the balance of the harbour. What Shelley's been saying all morning, really, about making sure that everything is in balance, that there's all enough of everyone. Indeed. And this is an interesting question. Not sure quite how you might answer this. If we record all the connections for the marine ecosystems, what would it look like? It would look amazing. And uh, you could maybe call it a food web. And like and it's, and what we call you could call that predator prey. Who eats who, and who is hiding from who, and who helps other people or helps other animals to live on it, like mussels. Other animals can live on their shells. Um, our seaweed and seagrass. Other animals can live within it and hide it. It would be a really really busy food web. Mm, and I like the, the word web because it, you know, it's all quite complicated and intricate. There's and lots sticky. of connections. <laughs> yeah, true. And we've got a question about plastic bags. Do you know um, how much plastic is going into the ocean around here, Kira? Any ideas? Um, I don't know uh, the numbers offhand, but, uh, but I do know that it is an issue of concern for the local iwi and the communities here about plastic pollution coming into the harbour and being consumed by our kaimana. But I don't know how, I don't know the statistics on mm. that offhand. Yeah, and that brings us nicely into how we can stop uh, marine pollution. One way is to try and not buy things that are, are wrapped in plastic mm -hmm. and be very careful about disposing of them. But other ideas, Kuda? Uh, another thing also is the stuff, uh, the things that we put in our harbour, such as uh, if you have mussel lines for aquaculture, that grow mussels, maybe not using plastic-based or um, synthetic lines, maybe using um, resources, natural resources instead. That would eliminate less, that would eliminate the plastic content in the water. Mm. And we've got time for just a couple more questions. Um, there's a question about how you can divide up the marine environment. There's some information about that um, on the background pages, so you can check those out. Um, and in the harbour behind us, do other species of shark come in? So people are obviously enjoying that view behind us of the harbour. Lovely. Just do a little pan around there. So, any, any sharks come in? Um, I don't know about other species of sharks, but we do have orca. Uh, that come into into the harbour because you know a great thing about a harbour an estuary like Ohiwa is that it's large and it's shallow and the water's quite warm and it's quite calm because it's protected from the open ocean. So species like sharks and orcas and even stingrays and eagle rays they come into the harbour because it's a great place to teach your young how to fish I guess if you like how to eat and also to be safe. So I don't know about other species of shark, I'm sure there are, but I do know that orca come in here quite a bit. Mm. Young yeah. orca. That would be spectacular. And last question, um, other than mussels, what other species of sea creature filter water? Well, you have oysters. We have an oyster farm just over there. That way, uh, we have an oyster farm. Oysters are awesome filter feeders, just like mussels. We have, it's a big oyster farm too. 
and in other places I know um, in Blueskin Bay, which is an estuary down where I live, um, there's cockles and they, they filter the water. So they're pretty important down in that environment and they're quite small, but they have an important job down there. Well, well done everybody. Awesome questions today and sorry if we didn't get to yours, but you can join us again at 9.15 tomorrow for the next web conference. But in the meantime, we're going to all unmute your microphones so that you can say a big goodbye. Bye, guys. Well Bye done. Guys. Bye. 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 Have a great day and hope to see you again.